Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Monday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is June 8th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I'm doing good. Just, uh, you know, another weekend in the books. Oh, you just uh, adjusted your camera. Looks like you got your lettuce trimmed a little bit. Got got a touch up on top of the head there. I did. I had an appointment canceled twice this week because of, uh, you know, uh, protests and such. And and then uh, today I was finishing up like the my haircut's just finishing and the power went out the haircut <laughs> place and I was just... so happy it was done because <laughs> you know there's a room full of people with half cut heads you know? <laughs> yeah that's not a ideal you know time for the power to go out ideal activity and but, thankfully yeah. I had cash so I paid my cash i got out of there and uh there you go didn't it didn't you know didn't look back i have no clue how long those other people were stuck there <laughs> good for you glad you got your hair cut inconvenient um, time to have the power go out or inconvenient yeah, place great. you know and you put up a chicken wire fence we saw that you showed that off on twitter with the garden box or whatever you're, you're yeah, growing right. vegetables yeah we're, we're, well we're, well farmer andy over there yeah growing things deep in the horticulture scene over here <laughs> Good. All right. So today's what show. What did you do this weekend? Uh, we went to a friend's pool, playing golf tomorrow. My first real full round since I think October. Wow. Such as the way of the world has been over the last eight nine months. Um, yeah. I don't know what else happened. Not not much. Worse for the wear every now and here and there. So you know it's got sluggish. Um, so we have golf back this week. It's we an do. exultant moment. We are going to talk mostly about that on Wednesday. You know, do our usual routine. Maybe take a look at the field. Who's there? Who's not there? The schedule. Who's curiously included in there? You know, maybe debate how whether the anchoring rules will be enforced more rigorously on the uh, main circuit as opposed to the senior circuit, given a few of the people that are snuck in the field. So we'll have a little fun with Colonial on Wednesday. We are no golf is back. We are ready to talk golf. We are ready to get back into a sort of normal routine on this show. But tonight will be a, a spotlight. The last one of this golfless period, but certainly not the last one that we will ever do. Oh, yeah. Is that accurate? We're going to keep keep cranking these. These the, uh, these are fun. They've been well received, it seems like. And, you know, it's, it's an enjoyable project for us. Um, so we will spotlight Jose Maria. Olatable, Olatable tonight. I've seen multiple, I've seen different pronunciations. We're not going to dwell on that much. There's just, there's options is all I'm going to say. I got options. I, uh, I just remember as a kid watching the Masters, it was always Olathable. So that's Olathable. always what I have thought it was. But then I've heard, I've heard other people say Olathable. So I don't know. 
a lot like with that last the bull you know yeah so we will do a spotlight on him tonight um and really get into the the nitty-gritty on colonial on wednesday any other news we want to discuss here at the top i think we got to give uh justin rose a shout out getting uh european tour ladies golf the the let tour back up and running is it officially let is are they going to be let events or is it just kind of a, a I guess it's a know, British women's golf series, but I, summer experiment. Type I'd thing. assume it's probably going to be filled with a lot of let players. If I you know, maybe this is where the Anma money went, <laughs> went right into Justin's pocket and out the other, you know, out to the this this experimental series. Good on Justin. We got to give him props, right? We got to, you know, this is a, a a worthy endeavor, an admirable attempt. Yeah. So what so is it? Seven events. Seven events. This is a this is a golf week article. I'm I'm reading. Uh, the original report was in the Telegraph. Seven events. Uh, he's putting up forty four thousand dollars of money. Uh, the cor- it's all going to be in England, and courses include places like Moore Park, uh, Harry Colt Course, and in Royal mm-hmm. St George's. Very nice. Very nice. So similar open, to what was supposed to be the Open host this year. So. Right. And. About a month and a half. So, uh, good on Justin Rose. That'll be interesting. No fans. I assume we may not get television. I would doubt, or maybe there's some sort of streaming or, or rudimentary coverage. But, um, I think yeah. it's uh, it's it's cool. He said, "I'm keenly aware that I have that. I now have the opportunity to go back to work and compete on the junior, uh, the PGA Tour. But this is not the same for the ladies and some uh, junior tours as well." So, you know, just aware, awareness, I have to say, like in, you know, in his world, 45 grand isn't that much, but he's making a big difference. It's a lot for some of those ladies that play on the let, you know? So is he giving, he's giving 44 grand across seven events? I'm not sure exactly how it all Or is that for operational stuff? And then they... I'm sure that there's other ways they're going to fill out the prize money, you know, whether it be entry fees and, and I know they're looking for a broadcast partner, but okay. now at least they have a, you know, a sponsor. They have somebody that put up some money. So yeah. Okay. Making it more than just a outlaw tour event or minor league tour event where everything's based off of the, the entry fees. Okay. All right. Um, so, any other news we need to hit on before we move on here? I think that's, discuss? that's all we, we need to hit, right? Yeah. I think this is obviously a, a massive week of golf returning. We'll focus on that on uh, on Wednesday. Yeah. All right. Should we Bixby? Bixby Coffee, the return of coffee golf? Yeah. Shotgun Star Blend. Might have a light roast coming. Working on it. Still testing, tasting, testing. You know, but I think we'll be able to offer a light roast blend here in the coming weeks if not month um i'm, wait- but right I'm now- waiting for the ct machine to show up so we can get the proper you know caffeination numbers on <laughs> on this blend uh so they've come through come through for us uh big here and, and they're ready they're fired up for coffee golf we may just try to we may try to make a mug for coffee golf may try to do some giveaways with the return of the coffee pot which you're calling the, the english series on, on the european tour I may try and do the cold brew tomorrow. You know, Bacon was texting us that he was doing cold brew, and I thought that would get you off your ass and show you your cold brew, and they never did. Bacon claims it's easy. What, how he did it was super easy. 
It's it's not very hard. I just Yours is more involved process. No, Mrs. Mrs. was complaining that there hasn't been any cold brew. I haven't made it. Okay, I've just been a bum. Been all right. I, I'm gonna rectify this this week. Well, we get a lot of questions how people can support the podcast beyond listening. That is one direct way. Ideally, it is something you will consume and enjoy, and uh, while also supporting the podcast, the Shotgun Start Blend at BixbyCoffee.com. Um, and appreciate your guys' support, especially as we hit the return of coffee golf. Maybe we'll put some merch up this week. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe we'll put some merch. We'll see. Possibly. Uh, I'm surprised we pulled the spotlight together, quite I honestly. <laughs> I thought midday it wasn't looking good. No, there. it wasn't looking good. I'm in, a, I'm in a dicey situation here. All right. Um, so Jose Maria Olathebal. All right. Jose Maria Olathebal. World Golf Hall of Famer. Kima. 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 This is his nickname. Or Ollie. Everybody called him Ollie. Yep. You want my uh, little snippet to start things off? Yep. All right. This is from Rick Riley, SI. Old Thabo was literally born to golf. And when the golf goes sideways, so does the life. The son of a greenskeeper at Royal San Sebastian Golf Club at the foot of the Pyrenees in the ba- Basque country basque. basque country of spain he lived 35 feet from the putting green 60 feet from the ninth green and 10th tee old thabble was so far from any other homes any other kids he had nothing else to do but spend his days chipping and putting little white balls into little black holes hour after hour by age two he was hitting irons by age six he had been a, made a member of the club with full privileges by seven he won spain's 10 and under championship this starts the whole uh, Olazabal legend. You think he was really get, made a member with full privileges at age six, or is that like some sort of fable that carried him? That once he won the Masters, it became the story. I don't know. I, Are you questioning? You know, I don't. I mean, I don't know. The full member at age six with privileges. I, I don't know what the club sort of structure is, but um, I mean, he would stay a member for a long time. We'll learn later. You know? It's a very cool origin story, <laughs> right? It's very cool. I mean, they try to think like we have context now of doing, you know, however many of these spotlights, 15 to 20, uh, you know, some guy, many are social, some are loners. A lot of them we find out can't do team sports or have no interest in team sports. And that's how they became sort of driven by golf. Um, I'm thinking like David Duvall and thinking Hal Sutton was certainly in that VJ, right? He was someone who would just go out there on his own and work under the, was it mango tree? Yeah. In Fiji. Uh, so that's the sense I got from that passage, right? It's yeah. Literally not, no kids around. There's just sort of a rural and remote existence and he lived on the golf course and that's where he existed. All right. You want a rundown of, of a little bit of old Thabble? Yes. All right, so he won the 84 British Amateur at age 18. This is his biggest amateur win, but he had also won the boys and the youth British Amateurs, as well as the Italian Amateur, the Spanish Amateur, many, many amateur titles. He was a well-known commodity. I mean, a legend for, apparently, I didn't know, I don't know what the difference between the boys and the youth amateur is, but apparently it's very rare for somebody to win all three of those yep. British. Uh, and so he beat Monty in the, the final. amateur championship is yes. the big one. That's the big one. And he won that at 18 too. So he beat he, Monty. He beat Monty five and four at Formby. 
So that's an Ooh. 84. Okay. So he, he plays in the uh, the Masters the following year, but then he turns pro that year also, 85. He wins Tour Q school. Uh, in 86, rookie season, he finishes second on the European this... Tour order, uh, order of Merit. And, of course, by virtue, he won the illustrious Sir Henry Cotton Award for Rookie of the Year. Who talks so? Uh, it's his rookie year, and he's second in the Order of Merit, age 20. Yeah. 86. This isn't like, you know, chopped liver uh, on the Euro Tour in 1986. You got Seve, Faldo's a ride, Woozy's involved. Like, holy cow. Sandy Lyle. Lyle. He's Longer. second on the Order of Merit at age 20. Pretty incredible. Yeah. So uh, he was he was pretty much just a phenom right away. It yep. took, took the European Tour by storm. He spent... Three over three hundred weeks in the top ten of the world from eighty nine to ninety five. Kind of nuts. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. We've seen some of those runs in these spotlights, but yeah, just the from age twenty one till age twenty. You know, what is that? I'm, I can't do the math. Did he ever actually win the Order of Merit outright, or was he just no, always he never second? Did. They're in the top ten. I mean, again, that's it's a deep time on the Euro Tour. So he never okay. got. I don't think he never got to number one in the world either. No, he would have had he won the ninety-one Masters. Yes, where he finished woozy. second the, to Woozy. So he's, his best OWGR position, I believe, is second. Two. Yep. Um, yep. Which was in ninety-one. So he was a seven-time Ryder Cup participant. Uh, one-time captain. Important note: He would have been eight-time Ryder Cup participant had it not been for injury. So, I think this is also a really impressive thing. We just talked about how he was Order of Merit as a twenty-year-old, as a rookie, second on Order of Merit. He also played in the freaking two thousand six Ryder Cup. So, like eighty-seven to two thousand—that is some serious like staying power. The one he missed, of course, ninety-five O kill. Was he was out the whole year? Or it was the start of his his mm-hmm. real foot trouble, which will become a big story here. We'll talk about, but the Ryder Cup longevity is seriously impressive. I think the 06 one was kind of a windfall. He hadn't played since '99. We'll talk a little bit about the 06. He went three and zero. Did yeah. you see that mm-hmm. with Sergio? He beat Phil, whipped Phil's ass in singles on Sunday. Not and a surprise. This is this happened two thousand Sundays. <laughs> I mean, but 2006, you know, all these time, it's sort of come and gone, we assumed, especially at team events, but teaming with Sergio. So, all right. All right. He has, in, in his wins, he, he has two major wins, obviously the two yep. Masters, 94, 99, four other PGA Tour wins, two of which were the World Series of Golf, which we'll get into, Ma- mm-hmm. monster event when he won them, um, mm-hmm. the biggest PGA Tour event non-major really probably non-major non-players and uh and then he has uh 21 other european tour wins including one volvo pga which he won in 94 right after he won the masters um he he was known in the Ryder cup you know most notably for his lethal partnership with his countrymen Sevi Ballesteros. Uh, they were known as the Spanish Armada. 
Yep. They combined to win 12 points together with an overall record of 11, 2, and 2. Did you see, I read a quote about that uh, while we're on it. Just because they, they, they like barely had to talk. They both knew they had similar games. Like when there was a decision to make, we were already on the same page. There's a quote, we were erratic off the tee. Solid with irons, extremely good around the green, settle out the ball. Whenever we had to make a decision, there was not much thinking to do, not much talking. We saw the same shot, the same flight. We had the same ideas. The Spanish Armada. So this is uh, Billy Foster, who was uh, yeah. Savvy's yeah. caddy. Yeah. It is my firm belief, and this is from a John Huggin article, uh, when Sevi met Ali. Uh, good read, worth worthwhile reading. It is yep. my firm belief that if Sevi had sacked me and hired Jose, he would have won at least three more majors and vice versa. Because they, they're they're like they were so their chemistry was so yeah good. yeah I gotcha gotcha got it that's it, great. It, the, it, there was a preceding quote between them. They were almost the best. Uh, they were almost. They were also the best caddies. Is what he said. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Dave. Ren- I mean, Dave Renwick, a lot, a the Bulls caddy, and I. <laughs> and now I got the yip. Olathabul's caddy, and I <laughs> just let them get on with it. They talked through every shot. It was all teamwork on a level I will never see repeated. Like they, the their cat, the regular caddies just got out of the way. Yeah. Yep. Again, Sevi, you know, monumental. Uh, Sevi sometimes, you know, every Spanish golfer ever, they just said, oh, he, you know, Sevi's influence. Sevi, I'd be thinking of his idol, Sevi. I think Rom even talks about, like, I, you know, didn't know Sevi, you know? Uh, but this is one Jose talks extensively about the impact, the influence Ballesteros had on him. Should we talk about, like, when they first met? Yeah, go for it. Okay, go so... Uh, Olathabel first saw Ballesteros when Seve, nine years old, played a tournament in, uh, at Olathabel's club. At that time, I think I was seven years old, Olathabel says. They played a small tournament, and he played there. The, the first time I met Seve, I was 16. He had a charity thing back home, and he asked me if I wanted to play a match with him and try and raise money for charity. I was delighted. I was shocked he asked me. You can imagine how nervous I was. It poured too. I mean, it rained all day. It was unbelievable. But we managed to play eighteen holes, and and I really have a full, wonderful memory of that. So it was like it was something where the influence he looked up to Sevy, and obviously, like Sevy took him right under his wing right from the start with the Ryder Cup. Um, he, I mean, he played in eighty-seven, you yeah. know, when he was twenty-one years old. He made me believe in myself. He made me believe my game was good enough to win tournaments. I owe him everything. So a very, very close relationship um, from the start. All right. Um, getting back to the rundown. Yes. Olathabel, I watched a little golf TV video. He's never bought anything online. This was <laughs> as of last year. The man, uh, the he has, he has kind of an aspirational sort of simplicity and calm and peace about himself. What he, you know, his wants and desires and sort of, you know, he's very, doesn't seem materialistic in any way. That's amazing. All right. So we'll get into his 10-year rundowns here. Okay. So I, I use for his regular seat, regular rundown, 86 to 95. Um, he was really... 
outstanding from 87 or 86 to 94. Okay. 95 is when he really, the back half of 94 is when he started to deal with the foot injury, which essentially then set him back. It was a two year, two full year setback, really. Thought his career was over. We'll talk about it extensively. Um, So, you know, this is his peak with a dead year in there. Uh, Yeah. So you had 234 starts. This is kind of pieced together from OWGR and European Tour, so I'm sure I'm missing some stuff. Um, 21 wins and 120 top 10s. Wow. So over 50% top 10 percentage, pretty damn good. And about 10% win percentage, which shocks right up there with with some of the best. Uh, For majors... He had some good finishes in 89. I almost went 89 to 98, but I decided to get that extra win of uh, of 99 in there. Yeah. yeah. 30, 36 starts, two wins, eight top tens, one runner-up, one-third, 10 missed, missed cuts. Now, keep in mind that straddles a, you know, the four missed starts in majors were when he had the foot injury and yeah. the the subsequent year before and after were definitely like recovery getting back. Yeah. So it's kind of tough doing his, his, uh, but his master's record is just unbelievable. Yeah. And much like Seve, it was, he's a golf course fit was incredible for him. Made for it for a certain while until maybe this century when they, and he obviously he got older, but he's got some comments on, on the lengthening. From, um, from 89 to 99, he had, a, he had a 42nd, and then he didn't play one year. Outside of that, his worst uh, finish was 14th at Augusta. What do you make? Maybe this is part for the legacy talk. But, you know, we, and it's hard coming off Ernie where he's like top five in it every every month, it seems like. All of Hobble's. You know, major record is not that uh, at a top 10 clip. It is at the Masters. The Open, oddly enough, uh, for me, a European player, he was not particularly good in at all. He had a third there early in his career. He missed, uh, you know, lost by two. But that was it. Um, I think so. I think the thing is he was so young. Yeah. When he lost, like, I mean, he won. He was, what, 27 when he won? that 28 yep and yep. he had been contending for a lot of a lot of years and it's not he had a third at, at the open in 92 you know yeah uh, yeah third and oh, i'm sorry third in 92 and a third in 05 yeah and other than that like you know not I, I don't know it's just not much of a record at the non-masters majors I, I agree. You know, he started, he had good, I mean, he finished the first three U.S. Opens. He finished ninth, eighth, eighth. And then yeah. that, I I guess I read something somewhere about how they changed course setup. Okay. And they referenced okay. how all of a sudden, you know, like it was another player talking about how they were rewarding ball, like ball striking more, accuracy okay. more. And that yep. was a big detriment to Ole Thobble. Okay. So, um, so how many Euro Tour? He had twenty three wins. Twenty so, twenty one because they do that stupid lumping the of double. the Masters. Yeah, they okay. count. So twenty one, 
Euro Tour wins, two Japan Tour wins. Um, and we'll we'll it, talk about his aversion to playing in Japan also. <laughs> it's like an interesting, on the all-time Euro list, it's like he's right about a cutoff for like the all-time greats, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Seve, Loner, Tiger, the double count. Colin, uh, Monty, Faldo, Woozy, Els, and Westy are the eight guys ahead of him. I'm glad he put Westy in there. And then after it, it's like, Miguel, uh, you know, Jimenez and Torrance, Mark James, you know, of course there's current guys like Rory and Norman down the list, but, um, you know, half and half, I should say guys who played on both sides, but he's like really, he, but he did the, play, he played predominantly us, um, from 90 later. or 2001 on later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I just, it's an interesting cutoff, right? Where the, his, all time wins list. He's like he's in that all time group, but after that, it's like a mixture of, of guys. So go ahead. I just I just think that everything with him that we'll get to the injury. We keep saying that, but that <laughs> he had a crazy injury. Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, we, let's do backstory. All right, all right. So his dad, son of a greenskeeper, right? Yes, at San Sebastian. So his mom spent the day. You know, like setting pins. Okay. The course opened the first time the fo- the morning after Jose Maria was born. Really? Yeah. And his mom went out and set the pins that morning. Huh. The morning after she gave birth to Jose Maria, she Holy was out setting crap. pins. That's, uh, yeah, that's impressive. Next time Jason Day WDs with a paper cut, you know? Well, yeah. It's, Say Jose Maria's mom. Here's pins. Olathabel. My mom placed the placed the flag in the first nine holes com- uh, to commemorate the course opening one day after, and and I was born the following day. Oh, maybe it was born the day after. My so bad. She, okay, that's all right. I live that's in the middle right. of the course, and between Monday and Friday, it was empty as as only businessmen played in Spain at this time. So my father would find the balls for me. Uh, during his shifts as a greenskeeper, and someone gave me him a putter to use. Those were my first steps into the game. There was a green right next to my house, and that's where I spend most of my time. Interesting. I, I mean, he grew up on the golf course. His grand his grandfather was a, a greenskeeper. His dad was the greenskeeper, and Jose presumably would have been a greenskeeper, but he had this other world, this out of this world talent as that he harnessed living on the course. Yeah. So he started like hitting balls when he was two, everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yep. um, so early years on tour, you want to go there? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So he won twice his rookie year. That was like, uh, you know, a big mm-hmm. thing. And he, this is from a national club golfer interview. The first okay. year I managed to win a couple of events, uh, on the Euro tour. And that gave me a lot of confidence to keep on doing what I was doing. But then the following year he didn't win. I went. I had a little slump, and I didn't play well. It came from ha- having never seen my swing before on tape. So when I saw it, I was a little disappointed. I saw players around me who looked really natural and made it look easy. And so I thought I assumed mine looked that way. After that, I tried to change a few things, and it took me a little while to settle down again. Wow. So what year is that? Like late 80s? That's second, a, that's second? A, yeah, it's 87. Because he oh, didn't win, yeah. it's the one. It's like the one year early in his career he didn't win. Wow, interesting. Um, out of the gates, I mean, like we said, 
he's a force on the Euro Tour. He'd won the amateur events, amateur titles. He wins twice in 86, twice in 88, uh, twice in 89. And he plays on the 87 Ryder Cup team at right. Muirfield Village. Right. That's that's the one, that's the first one they ever won, right? On the U.S. soil? Yeah. Is that accurate? I think that's right. I believe right. so. So and it's it's all the other like he's the young pup right he's not the part of the group of five and all that that the the power five whatever the nickname was you know he's he's sort of he's the one that would win the masters later after they had all done it and and yeah so he and that's where Sevy took him under his wing yep so there's a great story in that in the hug and peace uh when Sevy met Ollie about like how the first time they played together was just like a nine hole practice round match against Longer and um, Ken Brown. Okay. And and they were up. Longer and Brown were up. And then like Sevy hold like a hit. Uh, Ali hit made like a twenty footer and Sevy hold a bunker shot to tie the match. At you know it was a nine hole match. And then the okay. next day they were out together. You know they put pulled them under their wing and. Uh, and it came down to the 18th hole. They were playing Larry Nelson and Payne Stewart. And and Seve hit the first putt way too hard. It rolls like five feet past. And here's 21-year-old Olthabel, um, you know, rookie, first match of the Masters, buries the five-footer to win. And uh, this is what Brown Ken Brown says. Those two putts Ollie hold uh, were vital to everything he, he and Seve did sub- subsequently. The, the potential long-term damage to their partnership could have been catastrophic. But as things turned out, they provided huge boosts for Ali and showed Seve that he could rely on his compa- compatriot, whatever the circumstances. From then on, neither one ever, uh, ever doubted the other. Amazing. So when Seve met Ali, this is a Huggin article. And Pretty cool. There's, there's a really cool story uh, about 89. If, uh, okay. We got we got a second here. Go for it, yeah. So so we're into cool stories on this podcast, not necessarily brevity. I didn't. I have it. Okay, so in '89 at Belfry, Uh Lanny Watkins recalls a couple of U.S. players asking Captain Raymond Floyd to let them play Ballesteros and Olathevel in day two of four ball match at Belfry in 89. Mark Kalkovecki and Ken Green were saying, I want the Spanish Armada. We want to play by Asteros and Olathevel. And Raymond goes, okay, I think I know right where they're going to be because the, the Europeans, so yeah. the Europeans, is, so this is this is a, a, a quote from Watkins. The Europeans were so damn predictable. We knew who they were going to put where. Sevy got to play where he wanted to play the whole deal. Calkin <laughs> Green got waxed four and two. <laughs> then you know it was we don't want them anymore. <laughs> that was the Belfry tie. Uh, you know they retained the cup. But. Yeah, Old Thabel talks about they played Kite and uh, Kite and Davis Love in a match with Belfry. I think Davis Love's first event, or first match, maybe ever in the Ryder Cup, I believe. I could be wrong. Oh, Thabble says, we were all over the place. We hardly hit a fairway, but we barely <laughs> hit a green, yet we managed to win. 
They must have been scratching their heads at the end. There were moments when Sevy and I smiled or winked at each other during matches like that one. But that was the way we played. We knew on the first tee we would miss fairways and greens. That never surprised us. Our aim was always to keep matches close enough that uh, that we would have a chance down the stretch. Like think about, it. they were like one of the great, two of the greatest golfers of all time. Like trying to just keep matches close. Enough. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Good early Ryder Cup, you know that. So he had, you know, first major. His first major really comes close as ninety-one Masters. I would say we're yeah. not jumping ahead, but like those early years, he was lighting it up on the Euro Tour, getting a couple wins every year. Um, Ryder Cup is like really where he really probably makes his presence most felt for the American audience. And then you had the nineteen ninety. Am I jumping ahead of you? No, the 1990... you can't miss the nineteen ninety World Series of golf. This... A favorite of mine. This is where I got into pro tour golf. Five to Akron, the, the old NEC World Series. I mean, this was a big deal back in the yeah. day. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is before uh... before the tour created the WGCs and just stripped everything of all <laughs> history. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get in your shot. Yeah, the old World Series of golf was pretty cool. So this was like the premier. So they it was all winners from all over the world. Yes. You had to win yes. a tournament to get into this. Yeah. And, and um, Jose Maria Olathabal, <laughs> he shoots 61 in the first round. 61! <laughs> and he won Fire by stone. 12. 12 shots. He was up 12 with 16 holes left on Sunday. Holy cow. So, I mean, this is like, people who read about this game for a long time, you know, what was... He's 24 at the time. Which at this time, twenty four is really young. Jaime Diaz, what do he say? It's you know, uh, he's a mature virtuoso whose twelve stroke victory at the nineteen ninety World Series of Golf stands as the most dominant single tournament performance of the last twenty years. Saying uh, here's a UPI article. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I come across their website every once in a while. But okay. saying Jose Maria Olathabal won the World Series of Golf is as misleading as saying Secretariat merely won the Belmont or the San Francisco 49ers simply beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. Like the Triple Crown winner's dominating victory in the 1973 Belmont and the uh, 49ers 55-10 to 10 thrashing of the Broncos, this one was a runaway from the start. By the time it was over, no one, not Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, Tom Watson, Tom Kite, or Greg Norman, had ever put together a more dominating performance than the one Olathabal turned in on Augusta uh, or on Firestone Country Club's demanding South Course. Here, Watkins, Lanny Watkins had the had the uh, record for, at at Fire for the NEC for yep. he shot thirteen under a few years earlier and he finished runner up at. Six under this week. He goes, Jose came over here and played a game we haven't seen for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, what what happened? He just hit, found the fairways and he ran away from everybody. Like, yeah, he was always going to be an ace with around the green with his putter. But said, if he was hitting the fairway. He said he never putted like he putted this week. It was just okay. insane. He made everything. So, and and everybody thought every the, all the all the papers were writing that he was going to choke on Sunday. He started the day with a with an eight shot lead, and I think he started with 
three or four birdies in the first five holes. Holy he birdied God. the first two holes, and he was 12 ahead with 16 to go. Again, not a chump field. Yeah. World Series of golf. Yeah, really I mean, loaded. like, Hale Orwell was in second, Watkins. So, um, you know, the, the most, so Watkins, the most amazing thing is that there were only three guys within 18 shots. Holy cow. Holy cow. Yeah, Watkins also said, like, during the celebration to to Olathabo, go on home, get the hell out of here. <laughs> John Houston was in the field for winning. Yeah, yeah. He finished 45 shots behind Olathabo. 45? 45. Holy cow. This is a guy that won, I think, like 10 times on tour. Yeah, he legit, legit career. So this, is, this article says, Olathabo, now unquestioned, as the outstanding young player in the world, won with rounds of 61, 67, 67, 67, on the 7,149-yard 7, uh, par 70 course with the reputation and respect of the touring pros as one of the most difficult they encounter all season. So these were just records. The 12-shot margin of victory is the fourth largest in PGA Tour history at the time. Tying him with Arnold Palmer, who won the 1962 Seattle Open by 12 shots. The largest winning margin ever was Bobby Locke's 16-shot victory in the 48 Chicago Victory National Championship. So he also set tournament records for low score after 36, 54, and uh, largest lead after 36 and 54 holes. Unbelievable. So a little note on the World Series of Golf. uh, I can't remember where i pulled this the world series of golf quickly became the leading event on tour uh for many years a victory in it gave a 10-year exemption on the pga tour the same as a major championship at the time and twice as long as uh given to any winning any major now the field consisted of winners of all the high status men's professional golf tournaments around the world in the previous 12 months in Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Kind of unbelievable. And so he got that 10-year exemption, and yep. like he didn't care. No. No. <laughs> he like he, There's quotes like of him being like, oh, I'm not going to use it. Uh, okay. So that's like an, uh, I don't know, an early career, but certainly non-Ryder Cup, maybe his biggest, most dominating, most impressive. Not dominant, you know, it's his biggest margin ever but really a, a major shot to the american audience maybe that they hadn't seen outside of a Ryder cup and i'll say this when you play against the best players in the world and win by 12 yeah there's only a handful of guys in the history of golf that can win by like that much against the best players in the world right you know and they're historically typically the very best players so he won three times on the European tour in 1990. Then he wins in Firestone by 12. So 90 is like really a, a peak year, maybe. 94, I, I, I think, is his best year, but that's when the foot started happening. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, he's also big on the national opens. Big national open guy yeah, across the is. pond. Yes. Belgian Open, Irish Open, the Dutch Open gets a lot, picks up a lot of those Opens. Swiss Open. Well, every, a, I think every respectful world player. 
Every continent, every country on the continent, he's won the Open, feels like. All right. Uh, should we move on to 91? Yeah. All right. This is like first real close call at a major championship, I would say. Am I, is that accurate? Yeah. Am I, I agree. 91 Masters. We just talked about his dominance in 1990. He has a chance to become the number one player in the world if he wins. Of course, 1991, Ian Woosnam wins. A lot of the ball, you know, um, he, you know, John Garrity wrote in Sports Illustrated, you know, he only did win his first major to secure his reputation, which has rapidly been established with a total of seven worldwide wins in 90 and 91. Um, I would be very surprised, this is on Sunday at the Masters, Seve speaking, I would be very surprised if he does not pull this out. He is 25, but he's 35 in maturity. Uh, but he was off all that day. You know, he kind of, he made a few bogeys on the front. He bogeyed 8, 9, and 10. Then he birdied 13, 14, and 15. He had the lead for a second. Um, and he thought this was like a, a big thing. Like this this is proven that I'm able to come back. So he had that run of bogeys in the middle of the round, but he birdied 13, 14, and 15. Um I guess Augusta played easy allegedly, like thunderstorm softened the course, and uh, but he's not a big hitter, you know. And I mean, he, he made... was long, longish, yeah, yeah. Wait till I tell you his driving distance in the '99 Masters when he won. Now maybe they cal- calculated, you know, in a rudimentary way, but um, he needed, you know, he just made a mess. He needed like three pitches to get out of a, a muddy lie on the sixth hole on Sunday. He became the first player ever in the Masters history to make a quad seven. And he trudged to the seventh tee with tears in his eyes. Still came back, though. Like I say, birdies three in a row on the backside. I think Brant Snedeker, like four or five putted six in the last five, six years to add, become another quad. Um, Just like Drew. So, so he's playing in the p- penultimate group, you know, one ahead of Woozy. Um, and they, in 18, he tried to blow it by the bunkers, you know, and he didn't fade it enough and, and went in the bunker. Uh, he just made a mess of 18. Bogeys it. Um, had he made the par, like, he would have put a ton of pressure on Watson and Woozy. Of course, Woozy, we know birdies, 18. Um, and so, but he, he, so that's like his first real big close call. Um, he's just pissed he hit it in the bunkers. Like, I, I'd love to be able to hit that tee shot again. And he just stayed by the 18th to watch it, to watch the gut-wrenching finish where he, you know, woozy clips him. Um, but this was like a big early pressure moment. I think he was, seems like he got more out of it than not. I know he bogeyed 18, but the whole, like, the run of mess on the front and then birdieing on the back seemed to, like, kind of steal himself for future Masters runs. Yeah, he, so there's a quote in the uh, National Club Golfer interview yep. with him. He said, after losing to Woozy in 91, I met Sergio Gomez, which is his manager, in front manager. of the clubhouse, and he was he was really sad. I told him there was nothing to be sad about. It was the day I knew I could win. That's great. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Um, anything else on 91 Masters? I don't no, think nothing else there. Dwell on that. Okay. Where do you want to jump to next? I think we go 94. He's, he's okay. plodding along. So he won, he won twice, uh, in Can I just insert a yeah. quick 93 anecdote? That's five seconds. Yeah. I found at the 93 Ryder cup, he demanded that a pin be removed. And then he had an 80, 80 yard wedge shot to two feet to within two feet. 
So before this whole Phil thing, you know, pull the flag, Ollie was doing it in 1993. I, saw, I like that. I saw a quote that was like, when Olathabal asks for a pin to be removed, you pull it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we should, separate conversation, we should talk about a short game, but let's go to 94. 94. 94. He okay. wins. Yeah, wins the Masters. Tom Lehman's involved. Young Tom Lehman. Young Tom Lehman. Everybody, they loved young Tom Lehman. Rick Riley loved Tom Lehman. Lehman should, Lehman will get his own spotlight. Learned a lot about him and reading some of these things on Old Thobble. So. Yeah, he got, he had a surge on the, on the Ben Hogan tour. Yeah, I, I guess he just, you know, not really like one of these well grew, you know, highly touted players coming out. But all right, so 94 Masters. I just thought it was interesting. Rick Riley's entire lead is dedicated to how no one can pronounce his name. Yeah. You know, so I'm not just some on an island here, you know? I, I, I struggle with it, but this seemed to be a I recurring think that was, issue. That was before he won two Masters, everybody. Nobody, nobody in Augusta could pronounce his name. Jack Stevens, the chairman at the time, I guess, flubbed it on the green jacket ceremony. Um, Rick Riley, apparently, you know, he said nobody in a green jacket came within a three-wood of pronouncing it correctly at the Masters, which he won. So big moment is the Eagles 15 Eagles 15. What did, what did he hit? Like a three iron? I think so. I I didn't, I didn't pull the snippet, but that was the big moment. Um, he was at the time just one up on Lehman. Lehman birdied it, but you know, he went to two up it and then he kind of iced it down the stretch. Okay. Uh, Uh, at 28, this is Riley, putting touch you would die for in a stomach made of cast iron. Like the pronounces, so he's like, you know, with a whole lot of pronounceable U.S. players running way down the bottom of the newspaper agate. agate. Olathebolt could be a burr in Augusta underwear for years to come. And he was. I mean, he was always, if he, wasn't, if he didn't win, he was in the mix. Yeah. And so I thought that was interesting. Like he, he references the U.S., like that low point. Remember, we've talked about that with couples a little bit, love. Just not a lot of, not not a ton of strength on the U.S. side. Yeah, so couples had won the year before, but before that, it was the run of Europeans winning Longer, Wise, yeah. or yep. L- Longer, Lyle, um, yep. Faldo, Faldo twice. and then Woozy in there. Yep. So, so this one, I mean, you have Tom Lehman, who's not really doesn't have this strong pedigree, but Riley, I guess, like you know, he called it like the worst major championship field. Ever yeah, he's like this I was the first, that. first flat out worst field of major since they rationed rubber. Uh, there were twelve handicappers like Gay Brewer, you know, old old yeah, Doug Ford who shot forty two in WD. On I guess played nine holes, um, but then like Fred Couples at WD he was out with the uh, herniated disc. Reigning PGA champ Paul Azinger was you know uh, battling cancer, and Phil Mickelson I guess who was a you know. Young stud at that time. So I really was talking about who wasn't there in the field that was thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jose Maria emerges. Uh, anything else on this? I mean, there's plenty, you know, Gomez talks about like how he was really struggled in that 91 stretch yeah. where he thought, you know, he had anger issues. You know, he's, you know, he's, he throws clubs, his caddy left him with the bag occasionally in the middle of a round. Um, he was a man on his way to the slaughterhouse. According to his manager, Sergio Gomez. Did did you see the the line? It was usually on big wins. Ollie does a little dance, not at Augusta. You, oh, you must yeah. behave properly. He says. Yeah, he didn't do any dancing. 
So he had uh, uh, his. So there's a note in his locker the morning of Sunday. Sevy. Yeah. Said, "Be patient. Allow the others to become nervous. You're the best player in the world." Uh, he had succeeded, but it, it hadn't been easy. All day, the food I couldn't it couldn't get through my throat. Says Olafovl. In the end, I got it. I could not be a happier man. Kind of amazing. It sounds like Layman was, you know, the one. Uh, oh, did you see how 15 was just like a, a massacre? Yeah. Everybody kept rolling it into the water. Like it was like some pin. I forget who the quote was like. We've never seen that pin before on this course. Uh, nobody could. That was that was side digression here. But 15. um Sounded like kind of a just gobbling up balls. Some pin on there on Thursday. Yeah, uh, some guy made a ten. Well, yeah, there were tens. There were multiple eights, few sevens. Uh, but that's where he like separated himself, right? He did a three iron that stuck, and he, uh, yeah, that that was like the difference. He bogeyed seventeen, but Layman just couldn't miss a putt. I think he missed five putts to to either like pull even or close, and, and that was it. My favorite part about this article is it started to get show get into his yes. personal life. Yes, yes. So he this is from Riley. He refused to do the "I'm going to Disney World" thing afterward. His farmhouse just recently got a phone. 1994. He, he does not relish endorsements. Isn't married. Isn't close to being married. Still lives with his parents and can't fathom a use for huge gobs of money. What can a guy do with that kind of money at my age, he once said. I just put it in the bank. However, back home at Royal San Sebastian at the foot of the Pyrenees in that old farmhouse, his parents and friends knew what this win meant. They would walk outside, look into the night sky, and see the three rockets shoot as three rockets always shoot at Royal San Sebastian when Olathabel wins anywhere in the world. But this win, these rockets, this moment uh, would be different. They would shine brighter, last longer, and soar higher than any of the others. So he still lives at home. Lives with his parents. He just won the Masters. He's won won like 20 times at this point in his career. Ryder Cup stalwart. Yeah. Could have been number two in the world. Lives with his folks. I kind of, it's, uh, you know, endearing. That, I, I mean, this was, I didn't get a lot of action out of this Masters. Did you get a sense? I mean, it was Layman and then Olathabel doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy You Must Behave Properly. I don't do the dance after I win. And then, you know, just the, the stayed sort of, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't going to change who he was at all. He's still going to live with his folks. I've got some great stuff on this, which coincides with 94. Okay. So okay. 90, he goes back, he wins the European PGA after this. Um, okay. Which was then being played in June or in late May, because then mm-hmm. it was this this Guardian article uh, or independent article comes out after his win. It's like a week okay. after his win. Okay. Um. So he won by one stra- shot over Ernie Els. It was his 16th win on the European tour at this point. Um. Mm-hmm. The game may lack a dominant figure, a verdict uh, reinforced by the statistic that the last 14 major championships have been won by 14 different players, but the overall ef- effect is to indicate that Olathabel is living with, indeed getting the better of, some fast company these days. Distinctly, he does it at his own pace. So, as always, so this is like a, he, he always took the winter off. 
So as always, he declined an invitation to the Johnny Walker World Championships in Jamaica in December. Yeah. He is unlikely to open his 1995 campaign before February, thereby spurning the opportunity to compete in other rich tournaments in Dubai and the Far East where the promoters would be prepare, prepared to pay dearly for the privilege. So, like, he's turning down big appearance fees. Cup to his schedule. So the two main w- months of winter are precious to Olthabel, set aside for hunting with his father and playing golf with his friends in the Fren- French Basque country doesn't he like hunt birds or something yes his win at the masters means he is more likely to maintain that outlook rather than change it so he he has no endorsements really at this point because he doesn't want them. I mean, he could. He doesn't want to wear the visor. He doesn't want to wear a hat. Doesn't want play persimmon. Like all this stuff. Like these equipment companies don't want him. So IMG tried numerous times already to sign him. IMG. His abiding concern is to preserve the sanctity of his personal life. Is such that he has resisted every blandishment. Heavy Ballesteros declared at the last Ryder Cup. With what one might uh, term premature zeal and great pre- uh, prescience, that Ch- Kema, the Basque diminutive for uh, Jose Maria, is the best player in the world. When his young compatriot went at least some of the ways of fulfilling the eulogy with a victory at, at Augusta, Ballesteros told Olsabel's manager, Sergio, uh, Sergio Gomez, try to, protect, pro- try to protect this man. He's going to get massive offers. But I don't just, think he needed protection. Even he was more into like I don't. I'm sure his manager Gomez helped him, but like you know, of all the people, like I don't. I think he was firmly rooted in the ground himself. I, McCormick's should, running at him, right? Should I, should I tell? I have. The, uh, I, I'll jump ahead and give the McCormick uh, story. Yes, IMG. Okay, so Mark McCormick, the American founder of IMG, once said dismissively of Olafovel, "Strange guy." doesn't seem interested at all in the money he could be making. McCormick simply could not understand why Olafovel refused to ditch his manager, Sergio Gomez, a rotund and genial salesman from uh, Fuenaterra Rabia. His hometown. For the corporate might of IMG, other golfers were startled when Olafovel returned a large check from his ball sponsor, Titleist, at 97 with an explanatory note, I have not played all season. I cannot accept your money when I have not earned it. Unbelievable. Olafovel said, it's not hard to give up something which does not matter much to you. McCormick, strange guy, strange guy. <laughs> I love that. Couldn't you see Re- him say that? The rotuft sales, rotund salesman from his village. In, I can't pronounce that. Funatarabia. I don't know. The bad at the foothills of the Pyrenees is all I keep saying. Yeah, unbelievable. Returning the check to Titleist. Just gave it back. Unbelievable. So uh, ninety four, he wins the NEC again. World yes. Series of Golf. Akron. Second time. This time it was at, did you see this? It was playing oh, no, the, not. the yeah, north right. course instead yeah, of the that's... south course because the, the greens were in such bad shape. Yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. But he, he, won, he tamed the north and the south. Mr. Firestone. So he was seen limping 
during this this championship. Yep. And this is where the injury starts to set in. You want to talk about the injury? Yeah, we probably should. I, again, really like peak of his powers. The chances to be number one in the world. He's so, Think about it, too. He won the Masters, the European yeah. PGA. B, B, yep, the, yep. And then he won the World Series of Golf. This and year. he's not only skilled, but he was like uh, uh, quietly sort of like intimidating. I, I saw like a Jaime Diaz anecdote at this point. It's like no one is considered to be able to deal with pressure better except for Faldo. Like he's just like his strength of will at this point. Um, and maybe in a quiet way, you know, in the way Faldo could make par, par you to death while everybody else crumbles. All Faldo was considered to have that kind of strength of will. And... It goes away. Starts to hobble. Starts to hobble the end of 94. 95 doesn't get much worse. It doesn't get any better, right? 95, you've seen hobbling kind of throughout the year. Do you right? see it's in, just... in January of 95? Yep. He had a surgery to remove a portion of his right toe, which was deemed Un- to be too large. Unbelievable. They, they, they're... They're trying to understand what this foot pain comes from. It's like this mystery. They're doing this surgery. They re- removed part of his toe. Um, would, do you have anything else before the Ryder Cup? I, I've got. So in August, I don't know if I did it. Go ahead. In August of '95, physically, I'm not okay. I'm having some trouble with my right foot. The walking really bothers me. Hopefully, I have a couple weeks ahead of me to recover from it. I might be ready by the Ryder Cup. So, so he he. he he has the operation. He gets the toe shortened. Then a small growth comes in between the third and fourth toes of his right foot. Walking just becomes like really hard. It's like a tumor, uh, and he's pressing on it every time he walks. They believed it was like this form of nerve inflammation. Um, you know, at last, at the, uh, I think it was the 95 US Open, mm-hmm. he was limping so badly, he was twice warned for slow play. Yeah. So this is like 95, you know, he's getting worn for slow play. It just keeps getting worse. And it comes to a head like at the Ryder Cup where he's got a WD at Oak Hill. Yeah. Pulls, out a, pulls out a 95 Ryder Cup at Oak Hill um, and the World Series and the International. Um, uh, you know, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. He gutted out respectable finishes at PGA, the International World Series, but they mistaked a lot of mistakes over the final holes as he tired. And like could... It was just struggle to walk yeah, to the 18th like green. pain in his foot every time he took a step. And finally, by Ryder Cup, you know, September, Oak Hill, he's, you know, this is Europe. He's maybe the best player in Europe. Like, the older guys are really starting to fade. Faldo, Seve aren't what they used to be, but and he, he pulls out of the 95 Ryder Cup at Oak Hill. So, it, and, yeah, and he had tried, like, diet stuff. They told him to avoid coffee, <laughs> corn, yeast, and onions. All sorts of stuff, yeah. And then he went to the Mayo Clinic. I mean, he went to the Mayo Clinic. They told him something else. And yeah. then, you know, he he pulls out of all this stuff. And then in 2016, I mean, like, he talks about how he was housebound. He was unable to even move. 96. Like, he 96. couldn't move. He'd have to crawl to the bathroom. Like, he could yeah. not stand up and walk. So he backs out of 95 Ryder Cup and does not play in 96 not playing 96 at all it becomes this big like mystery concern Jaime Diaz flew to his hometown where he you know lives 96 still 
unmarried, never involved in a serious relationship. He lives with his parents in the house off the second tee, which I think they built. Uh, I think he built like a bigger house for him. The course where both his grandfather and father is 400 yards away from the two-year-old structure. It's a two-year-old house. Is a 250-year-old stone farmhouse where he was born and raised. So he built a bigger house. And like he's just living with this ailment. It's total mystery. Won't speak to the press. Doesn't speak to Diaz. Diaz talks to him through like the intercom on the gate. He's like, I appreciate that you came all the way here, but like uh, I said I wasn't going to talk. And my promise, you know, I want I don't want to go back on my word. And I can't talk, but thank you for coming. I understand why you tried. Um you know, this is where they talk about, you know, most he has made outside of competition is 1.5 million. Um, he won't do golf instruction articles. This is like the man of mystery. Oh, this is the best. So he, here's, this is a great, great. I, I, love, whole, I love him. I love a little Favel for this. Partly, I'm going to read the whole thing. Partly because he insists on playing a persimmon driver. Partly because he refuses to wear a visor. He currently has no golf club contract. The most he's made outside of competition one year is about $1.5 million, a paltry sum compared with the earnings of others his stature. Alathawal won't do golf instruction articles for magazines because he believes they are of minimal value. Although his wit is sharp and his English almost flawless, he avoids interviews away from the course and has aversion to that wellspring of supplemental income, the one-day outing. Uh, there's a good reason no one ever heard him complain about being play, being played out after he won the Masters in 94 rather than chase money in the offseason. He stuck to his routine, which he just talked about, taking time off, going bird, bird hunting, hunting with his dad. Uh, and, and so, like, they, they credited this with, like, having no burnout after becoming, you know, a Masters champion, which can make you, you know, this international superstar. Um, his only ambition, this is from Gomez, is to be a good player and to feel well in his own skin. So while many burn out, he provides Olaf provides low overhead, high return model for long term success. Um, but then, like his his health starts to go on him. He's just he's living in this, you know, on on the golf course, and they say it's like people rheumat- thought he was going to be in a wheelchair. It's done. They thought well, there was all sorts of crazy rumors that he was in a wheelchair. Uh, there was rumors he got really fat. This is from a Robinson Holloway, Holloway article in SI. There was rumors, I mean, just like kind of insidious rumors that he was fat. He was in a wheelchair. He had contracted AIDS. Was like, I mean, that's in an SI article. I don't really, you know. Um, and it was just like this. He had won the '94 Masters. Um, you know, they they talked about how he spent three million for your cure, which wasn't true. Just all these. Crazy, crazy rumors. Nobody um, knew what was going on. Where is he? It, and it's so bad, like you said, he's he's crawling to the bathroom off uh, often because he does he can't walk. Um, at the Mayo Clinic, uh, September tw- like September uh, ninety five, he plays Trophy Lancome, and that's really his last event for like eighteen months. Mayo Clinic say you know he has rheumatoid arthritis. And they, you know, you can only rest in some medication. Um, so it was just like that was all sorts. He met the German. Yeah, they tried one treatment, some some drug that was prescribed for cancer, and like that didn't work out. It just like he couldn't play golf, and he meets the German. What's his name? Wolf Hans Wilhelm Moller Mueller Wolfhart. Wolfhart. Uh, 
<laughs> Wolfhart. So he Wolfhart diagnosed yeah. that he had a herniated disc instead of a toe, a, a, a foot of rheumatoid arthritis. It's a herniated disc. Everybody looked at what where the pain problem was. Nobody looked at the 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 source of the problem, like like Wolfhart did. It's not clear though. Like he might have had rheumatoid arthritis, and he may have. I think I he think did have it later that, in his that career. He had some foot problems too. I mean, we're talking at the point where he, after Mayo, he walks out of the Mayo Clinic. He goes, he tells Sergio, "I'm happy. I love designing golf courses because that's my future from now on." Mm-hmm. He had his tonsils removed as a fight against like precaution from a rheumatoid virus like just all this stuff trying he couldn't walk more than five steps at a time he was balancing on his heels to keep weight off his toes just everything with the feet just trying to figure it out and uh figure out you talked about the diet changes no you know brussels sprouts chocolate mackerel just a real year of mystery and trying it everything you know he he so he could basically walk 12 holes, maybe, sometimes at his best. Yeah. But then he he rapidly per- improved when he started treating the herniated disc. Uh, herniated disc. Before yeah. long, he could walk a little. Then he could hit balls. He actually played practice rounds February 24th and 5th of 97 in Dubai and practiced for five hours a day with only five-minute breaks each hour. Like, to be clear... I think we've given this the way we can, but he was gone. He was off the face, like completely gone, not doing and nobody interviews. knew what was wrong with him. September of 95 into 97, like first quarter of 97. Yeah, nobody knew what was, like we said, there were all these crazy rumors. They had gotten fat and was in a wheelchair, all sorts of stuff. Uh, first 97, would you say? March of 97, did you yeah, see that? Like that's really Dubai. where... Nobody knows what to expect. Nobody knows, you know, if he can play golf anymore. He thought he was going to be a course designer. And, uh, like, he comes back, and what do you have, a T12 in Dubai? Dubai. The putter, like, immediately gets rolling. Everybody, like, chuckles, and, you know, it's Ollie. He's putting again like this. And then then he won a couple weeks later at the uh, Turispana Masters Open over over a young Englishman. Westy? Westy. I got a good Westy anecdote from 99. Good. Was that, I mean, had Westy, is that like his first big push or we don't know, we'll do a that's Westy a, that, was a, that was the young Westy. That was when he was, a, when he was the pink, he wore the pink, he was a little doughy. You know, that was young Westy. I think that was when the ping I3s came out around <sighs> then. Unbelievable. So no one heard from him. He plays well in Dubai, wins. Domingo Hospital, the other Spaniard, he goes, we thought there was no chance of Ali coming back. After his first diagnosis, everybody said he was going to end up in a wheelchair. Unbelievable, right? 97, he's back. He's back. Ali's back. Uh, So then he he wins in 98. He wins in Dubai. Yeah. The, you know, one year later, he wins that event. And then we uh, should say like he also he claims he got like better perspective from this. Oh yeah, like this sort of anger. It got rid of the anger problems. Eliminated some of the hot headedness. This time of not knowing if he'd ever come back. So, uh, ninety seven. I saw he makes the Ryder Cup team. Mm-hmm. This was the year. Out. You see all uh, the drama around that. The Brookline. Yeah. No, ninety seven. Oh, Valderrama. 97. Okay, so first, yeah. Sevy's the captain. This might be a flashlight, but. Uh, they, 
they kicked off this other Spaniard, essentially. Uh, Miguel, what was it? Miguel uh, Inhel. No, no, no. Miguel Inhel Martin. Mm-hmm. Miguel Angel Martin. He was 10th on the list. Automatic qualifier, but he hurt his wrist. And Sevi like, didn't want him on the team. Sevi didn't want him because it would meant like one of Parnovic, Faldo, or Ali was not going to be on there. So he's like lobbying for three captain's picks. And they basically like, they tell Martin he's got to play golf in early September to demonstrate he's healthy enough. He's like, they didn't, you know, Ali waited when he withdrew at 95, he waited till like a week or two before. But this Martin guy was like, didn't have the pedigree is this massive drama. All these like Euro writers are like, this is a disgrace. And so like, they make Martin like you got to be able to play golf. Show us you can play golf in early September. He's like, I can't play golf. Like I'm not. It was a wrist injury. He heard it like the Scottish Open. I was like, all right, you're off the team. I get three captains picks. He picks Ollie Parnovic and Faldo, and like they play awesome at, at Valderrama and like kind of redeem it all. But it was apparently a huge drama in September. Like from the Euro scribes, they're ripping Ken Schofield, Sevi even for doing this. Sevi was but, like uh, a control freak as a, yes. as a captain too. He like. Needed to yeah. know everything. They talk about him zipping around in a cart. Sevi de- declared Martin a squarehead in Kamikaze out to destroy the Ryder Cup. <laughs> and Martin called his lawyers in Madrid and they were going to file an injunction in Spanish court. Just this big drama in September. So it's just uh, that might be a separate flashlight if we haven't given you enough there. But, but Ali makes the 97 Ryder Cup team a year after he's off the face of the earth. And uh, does well. So, yeah. All right. Um, anything else on uh, 98? I found this interesting. All right. Quote He says, as everyone knows, green jackets are one with the putter. You don't win the Masters because you hit the driver 300 yards, says the 94 Masters champion. When Tiger won last year, everyone focused on his distance, but look at his putting average. It was great. That's where you win the tournament. Probably not a sentiment that would hold up to data scrutiny in the new century. No, no. Uh, <laughs> that would but be it did a, in, old takes exposed. It did in 99. you have anything else you want to get to before 99 no, Masters? No, I think this is where we got to go. So okay. heading into 99 Masters, it's all Duval Woods. Duval had yes. won the last two events he played in. And Very contra- like, contrary to 94, where there was no American, you know, Riley's talking about the Americans are way down the agate type leaderboard. 99, you got Duval and Tiger, some real, you know, big guns at the top. This is from Jack McMullen. D- uh, David Duval, Tiger Woods showdown was the story, story everyone wanted when the Masters began. Norman was the story everyone wanted when it got to its last day with 23 players bunched within six shots of the lead. But ultimately, Olathebel was the story that this memorable Masters deserved. For the tournament is, after all, about shot making, and few golfers design shots like Olathebel, a man with the hands of a seamstress and the heart of a warrior. Good, good line. Jack McCallum, all-time NBA writer, writing a game story for the uh, for the Masters. All-time writer, just in general, but NBA was his forte. Um, yeah, this was this was interesting. So Olathaba, like Norman, becomes the like sympathetic figure. You know, we're oh three years God. removed from the collapse of Faldo, but the crowd is just going nuts everybody, for Norman. And everybody, every player was like, "If I can't win, I want Greg to win." 
And he's playing with Ollie and he eagles 13. And I guess the place just goes bonkers, but uh, Ollie makes a birdie on top of him to stay on top. And Norman uh, didn't, didn't play all that great. Had, had uh, what, you know, he did some Norman things, I guess he, he Eagle on 13 <laughs> was reversed by a bad drive on 14 that he led to a bogey on 14 birdie on 15 became another bogey with a horrid 94 yard approach shot that found a bunker. I don't know how that happens on 15 from 94 yards. So, you know, after the Eagle on 13, Norman collapsed, but the crowd was like behind him. So, so this is uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the perspective, how it yeah. shifted because of this yes. absence and National Club Golfer interview, um, which was done, you know, years after this Masters. I really yep. enjoyed every step I took those four days. That was because of what I went through those two years. I enjoyed the crowds, the weather, the course, the atmosphere, and just being able to be a part of it. An example was on 13 when I was playing with Greg Norman. I pushed my tee shot, so I had to lay up with my second shot and hit my third shot to... Uh, 15 feet. Greg hit a wonderful tee shot, a wonderful second, and made his putt from 40 feet. The crowd went crazy. They started clapping and yelling. Believe it or not, when that happened, I told myself there was nothing better than that in golf. In that moment, instead of thinking, oh my God, he eagled that hole. I mean, he's going to catch me. I thought, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. And I think that was because of what I went through with my injuries that my frame of mind was so different. I enjoyed it so much more the second time around. Wow. So it's, a, I mean, this is a loaded field. You talked about Tiger and Duvall, but I mean, apparently it was set up really tough. They, they said eight under, eight under 280. Tom Lehman called the course a chamber of horrors. And McCallum, and it said, you know, a revamped, tricked up course was the language he used in his article. And Ollie wins with an eight under two eight. Did you see the it, Gary Player story? No, I don't think I did. From this week? Oh, I don't God. think so. I don't so, think so. So so the I, I I have like the full transcript of him telling okay. Scott Van Pelt this, but I'll just give you the uh give yeah. you the nuts and bolts. So I guess, you know, the champions dinner Ole Thobble's roaming in, and Gary Player stops him. It's like, how's it going, Jose Maria? You know? Yeah, yeah. And Jose's like, I'm not playing very good. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, and Gary Player, so he took me, this is Jose Maria, and he took me to the locker room and said, virtually that's, uh, that's what he said, you have to believe more in yourself. You, your swing is good enough to, to hit the ball well. It's just a matter of believing on it. Unbelievable. Gary Player yelling at him in the champion's locker room. <laughs> and and that turned him around. I again, this was like you know, there were only seven rounds under par out of fifty six. Like Ernie shot eighty. Sorry to mention that. Daly yeah. shot eighty one. Uh Westy made ten putts in his first ten holes. I saw that. He got in two shots, but double bogeyed 11. Steve Pate was involved, Bob Estes. Uh, Duvall had a run at it. You know, he birdied 7, 8, 10, 13, and 15. Love, of course, did his chip in at, at 
16, but he, you know, he doubled 15, I think, on Saturday. We, we talked about that. He was and love very profile. nervous the whole, whole yeah. round. He was yeah. surely nervous. He would tell you how nervous he was. <laughs> um, but what was interesting is, you know, Norman becomes like the last challenger there, not at the very end, but, you know, in the thick of it. Um, and what's interesting is a lot of old <laughs> Waits to walk up 18 with them. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. It, um, you know, it takes a special man uh, to walk up the 18th fairway, knowing that he again has won the tournament he cherishes more than any other, yet wait for Norman so they could drink in the applause together, as if the shark hadn't gotten enough already. Again, he'd become the fan favorite. I knew I had won, but I had beside me Greg Norman. We all know what he's gone through in this tournament. I feel sorry for him, and I would love to see him win the Masters. Uh, it takes... Special man, this is McCallum, with, to treat with equanimity the passive-aggressive reception that he got from the Masters fans on Sunday. Said Ollie, if I was a spectator, I'd have done the exact same thing. I mean, that's doubtful, but it, it's just interesting. We waited to walk up with with Norman on 18. A um, couple other details. Can you guess what his driving distance was? He won the Masters in 1999. What was... Ollie's driving distance. 278. Okay. This is a Sports Illustrated article. At 239.8 yards per poke, Jose Maria Olathabal finished second to last in driving distance ahead of only amateur Tom McKnight. Tom McKnight. John Daly averaged 299.9. Tiger was second at 297. Freddie was 285. This is allegedly 239.8. Dry. What now was it, that, like one hole that they measured? It might have gotten skipped. Yeah, again, the measuring could have been rudimentary, you know. But it, He averaged uh, like 296 in, in, in a season on the PGA Tour in like 2000. So we talked about him walking up with... Norman Westy made ten putts and you know makes a run. Needs only ten putts his first ten holes. He waits for Ollie. He goes, "I'm here to root for Ollie." This is 1999. He waits by the green. This is a big year for Europe. Sergio gets low am. Westy makes a run. Monty was involved, and Ollie wins it. I thought that was interesting. Westy like already sort of smitten with the whole Euro pride and rooting for Ollie. Because um, Westy is a good loyal loyal lad. <laughs> Uh, the next thing, so the U S opens at Pinehurst, right? Yeah. And so they're thinking similar, you know, shave down areas. There was like a lot of talk about, uh, like Ollie's got a, he's going to have a great chance, right? Pinehurst isn't what it, you know, was pre restoration, but, uh, you know, talking back about the masters, I go, Nick Faldo cited Seve in his prime as the virtuoso who would have thrived at number two. But Ballesteros mantles the chief of chipping has been assumed by the fellow Spaniard, Jose Maria, who put on a wondrous display of short game prowess while winning the Masters. He has never played Pinehurst, but Augusta is similarly shaved around the greens. Just mentioned that. One shot, this is from the Masters, one shot in particular resonates on the eve of the U.S. Open. Over the 15th green at Augusta on, in two on Saturday, Olafable was left with 10 uphill yards to the putting surface and 20 more yards of some of the fastest real estate at Augusta uh, to the hole. Several players had chipped the same shot into the pond fronting the green. But Olafable took out a nine iron 
and chipped to within an inch of the cup. Asked to explain how he did it, Jose Maria said, I ran the ball onto the green at the proper pace. <laughs> then he smiled, knowing there was no explanation for the genius. Yeah. Pretty cool, right? Nine <laughs> iron from the back of 15. How'd you do it? Uh, I ran the ball onto the green at the proper pace. and gives this knowing smile. I think golf.com cool. should call him up and see if he could write their next uh, chipping chip. article. <laughs> article. How, How do you to hit chip this tight? Chip? How do you How chip to... this tight? Well, I hit it at the right <laughs> speed. Uh, just while we're on the short game stuff, I mean, that's that's the anecdote I loved from Bamberger's book, who's just out now. Tiger, 2019 Masters, sought out Ollie on like the the new, you know, glorious, you know, practice tournament practice area, the short game area, and like kind of. I think whether he was giving him shit or not, it was like, Ollie, teach me this, teach me this. And Ollie like laughs. I was like, yeah, I don't need to teach you anything. But just that renown even goes on to today, 2019. Did you, did you see in the in the uh, gamer after the the Masters in SI, many American players spent the week criticizing the rock hard green at 17? Yes. But Ola Thabal, who doesn't criticize much of anything except American food, he finds Yankee salad dressings particularly off-putting. Kept it on the dance floor with like a low hook under pressure pack conditions, but but I just nope. found it funny with the the salad dressing. I think he 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 punched a five iron. Yeah, he did. He from a one ninety to and it held seventeen right after yeah. people players have been complaining about it. Kind of unbelievable. A punch five iron and he kept it on the green and that was you know Norman had already kind of barfed on himself that that masters too from new york times clifton brown article i thought this was a good quote from old thabble i won my first one you might say okay it might have been a lucky week but when you win two especially the way i did it it means a lot more yeah i mean i agree with that but he really kind of proved himself at augusta yeah you know with with third places and you know runs well into his you know towards the end of his career of course two is better than one i I just feel like he had proved himself more than you know suitable for augusta so this is another thing um from that new york times piece uh by winning another masters at age 33 old thabble proved he still belongs with the cast of character characters capable of winning a major at any time a pool that is extremely deep. Only three players under the age of 35 have won two majors, Ola Thabel, Lee Jansen, and Ernie Els. Oh. And so we talked about his reverence for the place, like you celebrate properly and all that. And now this comes post the injury where he doesn't know he's ever going to play again. I thought some of these were cool, cool details. Um, you know, as he sat in the grill room of the clubhouse several hours after his second win, he proclaimed Augusta's favorite spot on earth besides Funtorabia, his hometown. When I come to play here, I'm so happy. All I think is that it's such a good place. I have great memories, and I owe a lot of my career to this tournament. Somehow I just feel in peace when I am here. This is what you hear like from Arnold Palmer. You know, uh, this, this guy from the foothills of the Pyrenees, right? Mm-hmm. Just found love in Augusta. Um and during a practice round, so the Sunday before his second win, he made a point of showing his new caddy, 33-year-old Brendan McCartan, around the course. It was his first Masters, and I wanted Brendan to enjoy where he was. 
when we were on the 16th green on Saturday, I went over to him. This is Saturday during play. I went over to him and I told him to look around and see how beautiful it is. I told him, you won't see this anywhere else. Um, and then in his bedroom, he's got pictures back in Spain in his, in his, in his house. Back in Spain, he has like pictures of Augusta all over the place, including one I thought, which is funny, where he's taking a drop. Yeah. From in thirteen and ninety four, you know, it was during a special year. But there's a photo of him taking his a drop in thirteen. So Augusta, clearly like a very very special place to to Ollie. So that's uh, that's his last major. Ninety nine. Masters, two majors, two masters. You know, I found in a, a tidbit in an article, he after this win, he finally moved out of his parents' house. Is that right? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> he built a, built one right by it, but he moved. Okay. So after after the ninety nine win, he moved out of his parents' house. <laughs> he, he needed two masters, two green jackets to, to build, move out of his parents' house. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Age 33, uh, moved out of his parents' house. By the way, when he won it again, his dad fired off his hunting rifle and then threw off the fireworks. Like, you know, that's the same Riley anecdote from 94. Okay, anything else on that second Masters? Nothing else on that second ma- Masters. Do you want to do 99 Ryder Cup? A little bit on that? Sure, sure. I, just real quick. He was, he was uh, the foe of Justin Leonard. Well, yeah. But you, the way over, he set the longest putt ever made oh. on the flight over in the history of, you know, the longest putt in the history of the world. This is a Lawrence Donegan article, which is just right in that we don't get anymore. This is ni- September of 1999, a preview. Let the putting begin after what has seemed like two years of nonstop bitching and bickering. The Ryder Cup is almost upon us. Euro team left yesterday afternoon for this year's match. It was occasion to gladden the heart of everyone who loves watching sport. Rather than listening to millionaire golfing prima donnas whining about their lot. Alas, for anyone with a mortgage on a European victory, the portents portents are not good. Hair combed and dressed in matching blazers, the Euro team looked not so much like conquering heroes as a troop of wimps en route to an appointment with the school bully. So again, 99, Crenshaw, all the big hitters, asked to assess his form on the greens. Colin Montgomery could mutter, it's sad, really, never mind. So clearly he let it rip. (laughs) It's sad, really, never mind, move on. Nor would the U.S. team be quaking at the news that Jose Maria Olathabal spent most of the journey in the Concord's aisle. They flew over on the Concord, trying to break the world record length for a single putt, eventually beating Brad Faxon's 8.5 miles with one of 9.232 miles. The ball took 26.7 seconds, 26.17 seconds to cover the 150 feet of the cabin and drop. Far more pertinent is the fact that the Spaniard cannot hit a fairway with his driver. <laughs> Donegan, just letting it rip. But this is a... This is an odd, like a fun little, you know, quirk. He's made the longest putt. I haven't seen that it's been broken, but he broke faxes on the Concord. Traveling over nine miles in the air, you know, in the 26 seconds that it <laughs> went down the cabin. Going to be a hard one to break, I'll tell you what. Is that a, you know, a tiebreaker on Hall of Fame status, you know, longest putt on the Concord? All right, um, 
99 Ryder Cup comes and goes. Of course, he's on the green when Justin Leonard makes his putt to cl- not to clinch it, but to likely clinch it. They celebrate. Ollie's kind of staring around, not particularly happy. Um, Layman became sort of the the boogeyman of the Euros. Like he instigated the celebration on the green. I found his wife had to write like a article in SI too, like a my shot article. He goes, I know Tom along with everybody else feels bad about what happened on the 17th green. We apologize for that ill-timed burst of exuberance with all sincerity, but a few outspoken individuals across the pond can't, just can't seem to accept it. Tom has written to James, Sam Torrance, who was the Europeans assistant coach and Jose Maria. Torrance and a lot ball accepted. Jose Maria came to Tom and said, with a pat on the back, your apology is accepted by me. Now, this is from Layman's wife, so who knows? Um, you know, I don't know that... Ollie was definitely bugged by that and by that crowds all day. Like, I've watched this recently. Like, he is jawing back and forth with guys on the rope, rope line, pointing at guys, picking them out. His caddy's going at him, like... And I think he was like five up, right, against Leonard? Mm-hmm. And Leonard really turned it around. Um, Layman became like the symbol of it. They singled him out as the head hooligan on the 17th screen celebration. This is a Rick Riley. Um, the Europeans howled that Jose Maria could have canned his 20-footer to tie but had no chance amid the riot. <laughs> this is Sam Torrance. And Tom Layman calls himself a man of God. They just crushed Lehman. They were so mad at him. And that like killed Lehman. And, you know, afterwards, allegedly, Olafabel admitted later the ruckus didn't affect his putt. This is per Rick Riley. Per Rick Riley. It says, you know, Diaz says, Jaime Diaz wrote, like, he, they never went into his line. I don't know. It's still like this legendary what if, but I, I, I don't know. Reading the writing from them, like, it didn't actually cross his line. Lay, Miss Melissa Layman claims he accepted an apology. I don't know. And, and uh, I don't know. It just, Olaf Abel admitted that it didn't affect him. So, but he was the, he was the, you know, supporting role of that incident. All right. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. 2001. 2000. Joins, you go for joins, it. joins the PGA Tour. He joins the PGA Tour. Um, this is interesting, just as adjustment. The brooding Basque can hear the clock ticking so much so that he has put aside, this is Jaime Diaz, put aside his distaste for strip malls, ranch dressing, and kids who sass their parents to come to the U.S. and play on the PGA Tour. Last week at the Phoenix Open, the two-time Masters champion made his first start as a member of the Tour and finished 60th. He will enter five tournaments. He plays the West Coast swing, then goes back to Spain and then returns back for four events leading into the Masters. Um, and he intends to repeat this routine for several several years because uh, he's, he's exempt until 2004 after winning the 99 Masters. He offers two reasons for this new schedule, this stateside schedule. Having only won four times since 97, when he returned to the sport after a career foot injury, he wants to raise his game before his prime years run out. I want to prove, and in America, I can test myself against the best players, play the best courses, and work on the best practice facilities. If I don't do it now, it's going to be harder than to do it than later. Um, and he moved on to bit Butch Harmon at this point. Yeah, he was seeking out Butch Harmon, so being in the states, you know, uh, gave him more time to work with him uh, because you know we've been long plagued with the wayward driver. He, he self admitted, 
And he was working on getting his arms wider and higher on the backswing to shift more weight to the right side with Harmon. So um, he denies. I, I I didn't find much on this, but did you see he got strained with the European tour? I didn't he see d- that. So he denies that this decision uh, was influenced by his re- strained relationship. Uh, he's still a member, but his manager, Sergio Gomez, criticized the tour's hierarchy and orientation as too British-sized. So it became too British-focused. In December, Olathebel helped lead an unsuccessful effort to get the tour to open its books to the players. Interesting. Very. Uh, did you see? Um, so he's he's on the PGA Tour with with Jimenez, the mm-hmm. mechanic. Yeah. And they talk about like we're feeling our way, discovering restaurants we like. Um, you know, they they when they can't find a, find Spanish cuisine, they favor steakhouse. Steakhouses. He goes. Sometimes I bring my own olive oil, but otherwise, so far, so good. <laughs> I like to think of the mechanic and Ollie walking in with their own olive oil to some <laughs> like steak joint or restaurant in Phoenix or wherever, Los Angeles. Pretty amusing. Uh, that's, uh, spending a night with Ollie and the mechanic would be just quite quite the night. I feel it like. seemed like they got real close. The mechanic Ollie and mechanic later on. Um, who I think might also be Basque, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they talked about really in like sort of a full circle thing when Mechanic was, Jimenez was contending at one of the masters, like Ali was doing the same sort of pump up that Seve did to him. Where it was like, you can do this. You can win, let everybody else fall apart. And, you know, Jimenez didn't win, but it was just an interesting sort of full circle. It's interesting how Jimenez's career kind of came on later than, you know, they're only two years apart in I age. I know. That's a, yeah. And and Seve and and Jose Maria are only two years apart in age. Is that tr- is that right? Yeah. Is that close to him? Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Um. So he's on the PGA Tour. Oh one. Oh two. He wins the Buick. Wait, I don't think that's right. That Seve and Jose are that close in age. I don't think that because Seve was doing well on the PGA, uh, doing well on the Euro Tour in the early eighties and even the seventies. Right? That yeah, can't be true. That's, it's not true. It's not, um, it's, it's a, that's false. Okay. So Jimenez and so Jimenez and uh, Ali are Jimenez running. is two years older than Ali. All right. No one ever comes to us for our math. No. Right? I think I got my math messed up when uh, when I was talking about that Sevy story when they first met. Okay. All right. Either way. So they're two years apart. They're running around New Century, running around the PGA Tour. Um, he wins the 2002 Buick mm-hmm. at Farmers or at uh, Torrey Pines. Um, anything else on this like new? Uh, th- that's it. That was it. I for saw PGA. an article about yeah. that, and yeah. it was written by it was when they had like the pro- club pros writing about it. I read that too. <laughs> and at the end, it was like, I quite like the new 18th hole at Torrey Pines. It's like a true three-shotter or something like that. I just like, I read that and I just shook my head. I'm like, <laughs> I had to scroll back up to see who wrote it. It's like the Club Pro, like the tip article, like what I watched on TV. Here's why, you know, Ollie is good. Apparently, he hit like a wedge and spun it back to a foot. And some journeyman like was came up behind him and like, Similar shot and hit it 40 feet past. Like, that's why Ollie is Ollie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2002, B 
Buick. That's really his own, only PGA Tour win when he made the move over. Yeah, he was pretty much uh, kind of done. 2002 Masters. I found this interesting. He goes, when they lengthened the course, they played into the hands of the lawn hitters. Kind of, you know, what common refrain, right? Earl Woods said that's not how you tiger-proof it. Um, you know, he, he complained specifically about nine. I guess nine and 18 really bugged him because I was, I was thinking I should have stayed in bed. On the, I think he made a little bit of a run in O2. Uh, that hole used to be a very good birdie opportunity. It looks different to me now talking about nine. So definitely had a few thoughts on, on the evolution of Augusta. Um, anything else? I mean, Oh six, like I said, makes the Ryder cup. That was like a little bit of a resurgence. So, <laughs> Go ahead. He finished third in the 05 Masters and then, then the 06, uh, or the 05 Open and then the 06 Masters. 2006, he didn't win. He was seventh at the Players. He was third at the Masters. He lost to Tiger in a playoff at the Farmers. So, like, a playoff loss at, at uh, Pretoria again. And then he played the Ryder Cup team with Sergio. It was kind of, you know, he, he made top, and he got into the top 15 in the world. 2006 no wins but like very competitive golfer and that's a full decade after he that year he sort of disappeared um anything else you want to do 2012 Ryder cup basically the flip of brookline yeah he didn't even know if he would get it because you know he, he was concerned he may not be able to meet the euro tours requirement that he play a full tournament schedule apparently that was a requirement to be a captain because his rheumatoid arthritis was limiting his appearances on the tour in 2012. You know, we don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's the reverse of Brookline, but with a little more emotion, obviously Seve had passed the preceding may, um, Seve's silhouettes on the arms, on the sleeves. Jose Maria is quoting him. It's the inspiration. He's in tears, uh, at the post, you know, match, whatever press conference. I don't know. I don't. We don't need to get in a blow up, blow by blow on that, but you know, it's a major part of his legacy toward the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like he won the Buick in '02, he won the '99 Masters, and then there wasn't a lot there, right? From the from this new century, except um, yeah, just Ryder continued Ryder Cup appearances, <laughs> like really, and then Ryder Cup captaincy. Yeah. Do uh, you want to talk legacy real quick? Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, so like I, I saw some articles that were written when uh, he started playing Champions Tour, which okay. hasn't played a ton. He's never no. really contended either. No, he's like, Miguel, you know, he tells me it's great. There are no cuts and everything. But like, you know, I don't think Ollie's up to the task. For a guy that doesn't care about money, I'm not sure he wants to rough it around at the Tucson and the dump in a box classic. But all um, right. So legacy. Longer says a, f- a former Ryder Cup teammate said Olathobel would have won even more tournaments had he been healthy. You might say why he's got one of the best putting strokes. His short game is, you know, every bit as good as Seve's. He's a great iron player. The only thing that sometimes held him back uh, winning certain events was his driver. Interesting. So it's, uh, I, you know. He he had to withdraw the 99 U.S. Open. You know why? No. Because he punched a, a hole in the wall after he shot 75. 
Wow. That was the one that he was favored to win, they thought, because of this chipping around the Pyhurst screen. Yeah. He says that, that craziness comes when you learn you are never going to master this game, but you still fight it. Wow. That's a good quote. Yeah. That's a great quote. He also, yeah, I tweeted out a quote. He said, like, if you want to be good at golf, you've got to be crazy. I'm pretty sure. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, legacy. I mean, great player. I, I remember watching that 99 uh, Masters as a kid. I wasn't rooting for Olaf Dobble. But Who were you like, rooting for? Norman? Yeah. Love? Norman. Davis Love? Not, okay. not Davis Love. Okay. I don't know if I've ever rooted for Davis Love. <laughs> I find myself rooting against Davis Love. <laughs> I will say after this research, I hold him in much higher. Not that I didn't hold him in high regard, but I hold the the person, the personality, the um, just the, I don't know, the mystery about him. I hold him in just so much higher regard based on his shunning of endorsement deals, living in his parents' house, living at home, keeping his schedule. Uh, taking months off, not chasing appearance fees. Like I hold him in much higher regard for that. I don't know if that means, you know, you add that calculation into your Hall of Fame. I think he's analysis. in. I think he's in. Yeah, sure. Uh, I like. I think, and this is kind of a similar thing with couples. Like he's he's kind of similar in the sense of like he had this extraordinarily life altering injury, even more so than couples, really. You know, maybe, maybe, yeah. Okay. Where I mean, like he couldn't even play for eighteen months. Is you know, there were like shades when you think about what he went through is similar to like what Tiger went through with the back. You know, like where he, you know, the quotes of like I don't, I, I yeah. can't walk. You know, he might be in a wheelchair. Yeah, like and that, I think his comeback's kind of underrated in a yes. way. Won the Masters after this. Yeah, like he, he was, he was. Nobody knew what was going on for eighteen months, and like, think about all the botch procedures he had. Right. Done. And, right. And shortening his toe. I think it's arthritis. It's herniated disc. But you know, yeah, it adds to the legacy discussion. I think. And so I think like that's the thing I think about is like okay, so ninety four is where it starts to hurt him. In 94, he was, I mean, pretty clearly one of the two or three best golfers in the world just based off of those, you know. It's like, where do you, that's where that ascent happens, and that's where players a lot of times after that first major go into a new stratosphere. And it looked like he was taking that, and he was cut down right right at the time where, most players would be hitting their prime, you know. Would you put them at or uh, at or above couples level or same similar I think I, level? I think it's really similar. I would probably put them above it. What about Crenshaw? Another guy with two masters, ton of top tens at majors. Obviously, a legendary think, college career, which Ollie can't. You know, he wasn't didn't play American college, but I think that that they're probably in the same bucket. Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a much stronger majors resume, but uh, there three of the four are in the states, so it's he hard had, to. And he had the disease. Yeah, but, lost the weight, and... but I think what Olafapple went through is insane. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. 
in the Hall of Fame. Jose Maria, last, last spotlight of the golfless period. We will continue to do these. We know, uh, you know, they take a lot of your time. Hope you guys appreciate them. And we will be back Wednesday. Eventually, we're going to put these all in one place. It'll be a comprehensive presentation of all these spotlights. But Wednesday, we'll be back talking golf, talking colonial. So everyone enjoy the start to your week. Mm-hmm.